Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Found Consulting. Good morning, Karen. How are you? I'm good and I'm back and it's good to be back. How are yeah, you doing? Yeah. Well, it is wonderful to be back and for the Tigers out there, it's a learning new year. It is. House clean? Uh, next year. <laughs> what did you get up to for learning new year? Well, not much, unfortunately, because COVID's kind of, you know, dampened, um, I guess, our plans for the festivities. But having said that, look, I got my nails done with the red yeah, and gold. Not me, so, though. Look at that. Oh, I've just got next little, year. I've got the little paws, nothing else. <laughs> no, so um, a, a bit of family, but not too much. So, yeah. But I'm back at work after much and quite a long period of leave, Andrew. So, Don't worry, we noticed. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, so. And looking out there with 50 stations for people to work out and four people working, we're still right in the middle, aren't we? We are, we are. But I say I'm very uh, excited about our new platform. This is a this is a bit fancy. Well, this is we're now live on LinkedIn, which is great. You're going to have the case study come up afterwards, and we're using a thing called Slido. Uh, that's something that Soph's thought up, not me. And all we have to do when we bring it up is use your use your phone and there's a QR code, and you go like that, and you're into Slido. How easy is that? Or you can set up a browser, a separate browser, and just hit our link and go in and put in the number. But that's what's going to happen for us. So it's really exciting stuff. It is better technology. You can't see it. There's actually a light here, which makes has no effect on me. You didn't have to tell them there's a light. I, mean, I looked at it before, and you didn't have to say anything. But, yes, there is a light, and I look at it. Bit youthful as a result of it. <laughs> and look, lovely to have you all back. So let's kick in today. We've, we've got a lot of interesting things that have happened. Obviously, there's been a few cases over the break, but we thought we'd start off with Safe Work New South Wales and HANA. And probably because this tells a story about the rest of the things we're dealing with today. Mm. Millie and HANA was a person and went and did, as a director of the business, went and did some studies around safety and was competent. They were in a construction business person fell through a void from a second story about three and a half metres and died. And Millia Hannah knew what should have been there and it wasn't there. So knew the protections that ought to have been in place and did nothing about it. Charged as a primary breach duty as a director, fined, as I think, around about $150,000. So serious enough. But the real issue is so lucky they weren't charged with reckless endangerment because the test is the knowledge of a high risk and being indifferent to it, and that's what he was. This could have been a fine. This could have been jail up to five years. This could have been a whole lot of things. So constant problem, isn't it? It is a constant problem, Andrew, and I guess the question that my clients are always asking is that, look, does, because we represent different sized businesses as well, like we all know what our responsibilities broadly are, certainly at the officer and director level, but how much do we need to do considering the size of our business and the level of resourcing that we have? So does that come into play? Yeah, no, it does. The fourth element of reasonable practicability, so element one is what is a hazard in respect of that hazard, two, what is the nature of the risk based on the nature of risk and the analysis of that, what is the appropriate control given the resources of the organisation? So there is slightly differential levels of what is reasonably practicability. They're not big, Mm. I might add, and if you have a high-risk you're pretty stuck. So avoid the issue in this case. It doesn't matter who you were, you would be liable. In mm. in Hannah's case, in every jurisdiction but Victoria now, Hannah would be liable because of the due diligence obligations, whether he had trained or not. Mm. In Victoria, because 
of the implied duty that exists under 144, he would have knowledge and therefore the onus would shift to him to take the action that is necessary. So it would have been very easy to prosecute him in Victoria, but it's a lay down Mazaire everywhere else because the. So interesting case. Next one I just thought was Metcash and Hudson. This is an interesting case, isn't it? This is the size of client we commonly deal with. Metcash is a large client. They had quite good policies that existed around high-risk, low-risk work areas, and in a, a high-risk areas, you were not to use a mobile phone. Uh-huh. wasn't a zero tolerance, so this was not a golden rule. The employee was on a forklift, used the phone, was observed to have used the phone in a high-risk area. When they spoke to him about it, he immediately acknowledged he was wrong. He'd had a 15-year, and you know, it's a perfect record, good employee. Throughout the disciplinary process, he was deeply troubled by what he'd done. He understood the impact and risk that occurred, but nobody was hurt in the actual circumstance. Nobody was exposed to specific risk. Metcash terminated him, and both at first instance and then on appeal, the court said, no, it's just harsh. You've got to go to the individual circumstances. Good employee, no one injured, no immediate risk where he was at, even though it was a high-risk area, no immediate risk, not a golden rule case. You've got to look at the individual circumstances and make a decision. But, Karen, the thing that troubles me most about this is what were Metcash thinking? Do you know, when I look at discipline and I've been involved, you know, I'll be involved in a 1,000 cases this year just because of the work we do, I always assume that my employee is a good person. I don't start off with a view that I should be terminating them. I look at what is the right action for this person and what is the right communication that sits around it because this person has given 15 years of their life to this business, is a good person, probably has a family around them, and has a whole lot of obligations to sit behind it. I don't go to termination under those circumstances. What about you? Yeah, look, I understand the rules and um, in terms of what occurred. I mean, the employee themselves recognise that they've done the wrong thing. So that's that's well established already. The point is what, whether it was the right thing to do. Because here, we're talking about people. We're talking about human beings. Yeah, we act, There's actually a, a moral obligation here. If, and if we apply that, it wasn't the right thing to do. I'd like, I'd be interested to know what the kind of response would have been like from the workforce um, in terms of his peers uh, and look, colleagues. They, they would have been the outraged. cultural damage. Yeah. Like, it's just not a great look for someone who goes, well, if that was him, gee, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm very much a long-term employee. I'm, I've got a clean record and I work hard really every day. So am I up for the same if I, you know, I make a mistake? Yeah, whereas if it ends up with a final warning and you mm. communicate and he's involved in that communication, then people who have been there a short period of time or not perform will go, God, he got that. Imagine what could happen to me. Mm. And, look, there's some lovely people there. Peter Maguire says Frozen. I'm not sure if that's the show that he's watching. <laughs> so glad to be back in the room. So lovely to see you, Anne, too. So, look, I want you to think, and everyone who we deal with and Karen deals with always goes first to the person and the values of the business. Who is it we want to be? And what do we really feel about our people? We're going to talk about engagement quite a lot later on. But if you're engaged and connected to your employees, they make a mistake. They're a good employee. You don't reach for your gun. Mm. That's my view. Anyway, look, let's jump on. That's me bashing away. Not quite as much as I'm about to bash away. This my favourite jurisdiction, which is Nizardine University of New South Wales. You'll be surprised to learn this is a workers' comp jurisdiction, the most dud jurisdiction in Australia. <laughs> Nizardine had a work colleague at work fill out a notebook of a terrorist plan, and as a result of that, Mr Dean was arrested, okay? Not bad, arrested at work, problem arose at work, and the Workers' Comp Tribunal found there was a lack of connection with business, duh, and why? Because no injury arose at the time of the arrest. So that means if I'm abusive to Karen and she survives it and doesn't break down but gets outside the door and falls in a heap, 
no workers' compensation. This is a shit decision, okay? Let's let's make no mistake about it. This By the way, I would survive that, just so. <laughs> well, you have. <laughs> but what I want to be clear about is this is a wrong decision and any proper, if this went to appeal, it would be overturned. But the tribunal is such a quixotic place in every jurisdiction. What I want you to be clear about is they should have gathered around. I know Nizuddin was charged with terrorism, but you stay connected. The person's told you this is not me. Stay connected. Pretty terrible case, isn't it? Imagine a work colleague setting you up to be arrested on terrorism charge, destroying your reputation through work processes, mm-hmm. and you're arrested at work, mm-hmm. and it's not compensable. Shit decision. Wonderful. All right, let's go on to mandatory vaccination and returning to work. I thought I'd just briefly talk to you about the decision of BHP and Omicron because there's a lot of talk about this particular decision. And what we're very lucky about, is, and I think Soph will bring up the slide in a second, you'll see... BHP went through a very dedicated process place. And, Matt, thanks very much for preparing this with Sophie. But you can see there's been nearly a two-week consultation process that went through and it was found to be inadequate. Okay? Now, what when you look at that, you go, but that's so detailed. But no, it wasn't because the question that was posed to them is, is there a reason we shouldn't do this? So there was, A, a level of preemption. I, we know what we're going to do. The rationale was never set out. The evidence behind it was never set out. The data was never set out. So the workers couldn't form a proper basis for consultation and in that period of time could never make a proper decision about it based on, well, do we actually need this because of the urgent nature of what is occurring now? Now, BHP were always going to be successful because it is an OHS issue. Well, they're not being successful now because they failed to follow the OHS obligations of consultation. So what they want to do is right. And I guess for all of us, and, you know, we contemplate it now, what we're doing in our workforce, it is absolutely true that during Omicron, during the peak period of time, most of our businesses have massive losses. In our meat industry clients, we've seen sites completely closed for days on end. We've seen 30% loss of employees. So this was right but it was executed wrongly. So if you want to chat to us more about it, do, but we'll teach you what the process is, worth looking at the decision as well. But I guess coming to what we do need to talk, and Karen's done some great work around this, Omicron has caused a lack of capacity. We've lost a whole lot of people during the process. Mm. There is a new agenda that's coming through the union, which is so duplicitous, it's totally offensive. There they were fiddling in the background with mad right-wing lunatics around stopping vaccination and actually litigating and supporting the preventing of vaccination. And now their agenda in all enterprise agreements I'm dealing with is trying to insert new leave provisions. All the things, by the way, that you as employers did really well around flexibility. There's a We're going to talk next week about what's happened to the unions. That's going to be an agenda item for next week, quite a substantial discussion because you'll see they're being flushed down the toilet. Younger people don't want them. The only people who are holding to them are older, vulnerable people feeling at risk of losing their job through age, industry or lack of capability. So engagement is the answer and we've all learned through COVID that really great engagement, immediate engagement, skilled engagement creates higher productivity, greater flexibility, the ability to manage disruption. But it doesn't change your safety and your workplace obligations around, well, what is safe in my workplace? Mm -hmm. And Omicron is different. 
you know, like the nature of mask wearing is different with Omicron as to what you need. Social distancing is still not a bad defence with Omicron. So we need to go back to look at our agenda and maybe if I can hand over to you, Karen, to talk about, well, what should you be doing now as we're returning people to work? Our office, just as an upside, is and Karen's assisted us with this, we've got five people out of 50 in today and that's going to be how we run on an as-needs basis people coming in up until the end of February. And at that stage, we'll drift to something like a 50-50, but we'll constantly monitor where the risk is to change that if it's ever necessary. And we've changed our meeting processes and been very careful around all functions to accommodate and ensure we don't hurt our staff and we keep a register of vaccination certificates. We encourage, we support people, we give people leave to attend and do that sort of thing, and we give them leave if they're unwell after. We do all those things, okay? built around what Karen's about to talk to you about. So, Karen, over to you. Thanks, Andrew. So, so you'll, you'll load off a slide for me. And, and I think what we're just talking about your workplace, Andrew, I think the key to really uh, managing safety well with respect to COVID risk is that accepting that it's live, it's fluid, and you've got to be willing and prepared to change and adapt. Okay, and changing and adapting to what, we don't actually know because it changes from week to week and month to month. Yeah. But that in itself is the biggest barrier because if you think that I can do a risk assessment, I can put in a protocol or whatever and I kind of set and forget until kind of there's a new direction, that's actually not managing it effectively. Not at all. And can I say to you that one of the things we've learned from this is isn't this a wonderful piece of work for all nature of illness that we have? You know, like COVID is 6 to 12 months away from really being an endemic okay, to being like flu. Mm. But we've never managed flu with a risk assessment. In our firm, we pay for everyone to go and get vaccinated and we bring people along here for vaccination for flus and we don't mandate it, but we we strongly support it. Mm. But what Karen is talking about today is this constant review of what risk is in health. And it is saying to people, if you've got any form of symptom at all of anything, actually don't come to work, mm. particularly in a professional space. Yep. And if you have to come to work, well, what are the things, the disciplines we need around it to make sure you don't hurt anybody else? Because remember, giving someone a serious infection is like punching someone in the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we never let anyone come along and punch somebody in the head. Yeah. But we're happy to let someone turn up with a flu and wipe out half our workforce, destroy mm-hmm. our productivity and make people terribly sick. I know it's old Protestant stuff of come to work, work really hard, but that's just bloody madness, you know, and it's wrong. It's serious misconduct to come to work like that. We've got to set up our processes so we can say to people, hey, it is bad behaviour. So, Karen, talk through what you've got. Yeah, sure. So, look, everyone, I've got two things for you today. Firstly, well, the other thing, because I'm not going to show you here online, is in terms of the risk assessment last year, I prepared a template, a freebie for you all, and it was a return to work of, you know, following being at home from working from home while we were in lockdown. So that's now been revised, okay, so to consider in terms of the new recent potential hazard sources relevant to Omicron. So that's there. Sophie's going to send that out in the email. But it's so just you, a template. It's just a template. You've got to apply your knowledge. Yes, you do. And, and you've got to apply your own environment to it. I just want to be clear about yes, it. Absolutely. It's just Karen saying, look, Here's the things you should be thinking about. Absolutely. The things, the new factors and um, hazard sources that you need to consider, have a conversation about. Okay, so that's that and that's there for you. So happy new year to you. That's a freebie. So what I've got for you today is 
a quick checklist in terms of assessing your preparedness to manage Omicron in the workplace, that now that we're seeing people gradually returning back to work and we're suspecting, you know, we expect that we're going to see more of that over the next month, what does that mean for, for, for employers and for leaders? So a couple of things for you in a simple format, and please, this is, this is a really easy tick and flick exercise um, just to kind of get you thinking. You're either red, you haven't considered it or you haven't done anything about it, orange being, yep, in progress and green under control. Okay. By the way, you realise we've got Brendan Mitchell in Seattle. Oh, I mean, nice. just, just showing off. But okay. nonetheless, we've got him. G'day, Brendan. How are you, mate? Hey, Brendan. <laughs> All right. So, look, I'm not going to read every single one for you here because you can see it. But really, what I'm asking you to think about is with the Omicron variant, how does that actually impact? Do you understand what it is? How is it different compared to what new hazards and risks does that create for your people and your workplace? compared to before this variant arrives. So, and that's going to affect, that will affect as a result the different types of controls and the extent of controls that you apply across your group. Have we reviewed, do we need to, based on this new variant, review the risk profiles that we've previously identified across our workforce? Because, again, is it going to impact different groups of people differently, particularly with Omicron, how it's uh, people are presenting you know, asymptomatic. Like they, they're positive, but they don't even realise they're positive. Right. And, and remember, Delta's still here. That we keep forgetting as people focus. So you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, if that makes sense. Mm. You've got to stay where Delta is. But when we look at our two major clients who are doing mandatory testing at the moment, 30% of all people who test with rat, I just love saying rat, 30% of people have the rat are positive with no symptoms, but they're able to spread it. Mm. So with that, and the rest of it, I'll, I'll leave with you to take away and do yourself. But Following from that, are we, we resource our, our, our managers and our leaders and our supervisors, the people at the front line who are supporting our people, do, you know, what process and what support needs to change? Are they equipped and confident to be able to have those conversations, to be able to support their people? And, Karen, isn't this, I mean, look, the opportunity here is great. Mm. What we've learned through COVID is that it's constant daily engagement. Yes. Okay? By doing the process that Karen's talking to, all we're doing is re-enlivening what we started with and reminding people of these constant conversations that we have. And we're telling people in those conversations, we care about you. Mm-hmm. We're reminding people of what safe is. We're saying we love having you at work. We love caring for you in a way that's appropriate. There's such great messaging that sits behind that talks to the heart, to the purpose of the organisation, and yet people forget about it. They walk away, oh, you know, the urgency's gone. Mm. But you've now got this great platform. And as we talk about union involvement next, you've got this great platform to actually have a highly productive, engaged workforce with people going, shit, Andrew and Karen really care about me. Yep, but have a platform and to talk about something, about issues or hazards that are real, that impact people, and be genuine about doing something about it to make us safer. Yeah, and on the black side, the dark side of things, if we do all that stuff, people have knowledge, they have competency, therefore they have accountability. Mm-hmm. Okay, now one of the biggest problems when we come to discipline issues is you can't hold people to account because they don't have the knowledge. They're not competent mm. at what you're doing because you failed in producing that competency. Now, if Omicron is a punch in the head, okay, that's what it is, and we're not doing anything. We're not teaching people. We're not saying you've got to wear your mask, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, and this is the outcome and this is how it protects you and other people. If we're not saying that, we can't discipline people who breach the rules. Absolutely. You know, the crazy buggers who walk around with their nose sticking out over the nose, you know, thinking that's a really clever idea. Can I just tell you, if you're a penguin, it is, but if you're a person, it's not, all right? <laughs> okay. Well, look, that's me. Look, I hope that's useful to you. If you've got any questions, drop me a note and I'm happy to help out. 
Okay, let's flick to the case study. Now, before we do the case study, you're going to get, so Queen of the Airwaves is going to put up for you what you need to do on Slido. Sophie, see that, that's, that's silent time there. She's moving as quickly as she can. I'm watching it. She's not looking out the window. So we're going to get Slido up shortly because you need to actually connect to Slido. Here it goes. Look at that. We've got a dark screen. We're getting close. Now, get your phone out. I'm going to speak very slowly. Get your phone out or open up a separate browser page. Use your camera. You got it. You're into Slido. Put in the code. I'm going to count to five because if you can't put in five, you shouldn't be on this. I should, no, no. One. Can you do it, Cameron? Oh, no, that's what I'm trying to do. Well, hurry up. Look, come on, just, just come on, do it. Because right, you've got to get the answers right as well. Okay. Three, two, you there, Karen? Yeah, I'm here. One. There's no, there's no active pulse at the moment. I'm waiting now. Yeah, no active pulse. All right. Okay, on that basis, you're going to get the stuff up. We're going to now move to the problem, and that's going to swish across the screen at a speed you just can't believe. There we go. Look at that, how quick that was. That's me again. So hello again, but it's coming. Remember, this is new technology. We're growing and learning <laughs> somewhere along. Here it goes. We're back to the black screen. There we are. Over to you. Oh, she's yeah, changed it. That was, that was Sophie. Oh my Sophie gosh. has changed it to Sinead. Oh, okay, thank you for saying Sinead. Court, read Sophie. Okay? Oh, okay. So I was going to do a screenshot of my the look of, you know, just mortified. Yeah. What? Okay. Sinead. Also known as Sophie. Unbelievable, Sophie. Universal Computing Kaleidoscope Systems <laughs> sucks, yeah? <laughs> Employees around 100 coders, 30 salespeople, 30 sales and hardware technicians, and a raft of software experts. It's sold and maintains state of the art HR systems to large clients. Sucks is situated in Dingley and has outgrown its premises with the 200 plus employees crammed into an area that suits 40. Before the last lockdown, they had suffered over 10% absenteeism for the first four weeks before returning to remote work. They couldn't afford to have employees getting infected again at work, having lost contracts and suffered late delivery penalties. They hired a risk expert, Lewis Kareem, to help plan return to work. Fantastic. Lewis's final assessment suggested no more than 30 people on the premises at one time. N95 masks made available, social distancing, improved air filtration and mandatory wraps on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Sinead, the owner, ran several Zoom meetings the following day and sent everyone a copy of the assessment, the consultation. Sinead explained that if an employee did not submit a rat without a lawful excuse, I can't see it. You have to roll it up, roll it up, roll it up. Okay, 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 sorry. Can you do this? We're going to do this. I can't do it. Anyway, I'm missing, I can't read a part of it. They were not without, so if they didn't submit a rat without lawful excuse, they were not ready, willing and able to attend work. They would be warned once before having their employment terminated. The outcome would be implemented the following day. Next page. Vicky Martin, you're right. Awesome technology. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> the following day, one of Suck's employees, Natalie, called Sinead and said vaccination is unproven and dangerous. By the way, Natalie, she's okay. sitting out there. Right. She recently <laughs> had shingles and believed vaccination could kill her. Sinead asked if she was well now. Natalie confirmed she was and that she had returned to her native Adelaide, adding that Melbourne was unsafe for people who opposed vaccination because Anne Andrews is a communist dictator. <laughs> Sinead advised Natalie that she was being stood down without pay with immediate effect. She explained that Natalie must attend a disciplinary meeting the following day, gave a time and place and said it could be by Zoom if it suited her. An invitation was sent along with with a direction to attend either in person or by Zoom. Natalie did not attend either. She was sent a final warning and a direction to attend work the following day, undertake a rat or otherwise her employment would be terminated. Natalie ignored the correspondence, didn't attend work and her employment was terminated. 
<laughs> we have done it. Even though Sophie changed the name at the last minute, appalling All stuff. Right, so the let's first go. question, now you get 20 seconds for each question, so you've got to run hard at it. Go. Did Sucks appropriately consult with its employees? So that's the that's how That was the first one. We've done that one. So the second one is, okay, they didn't actually go through the process of explaining the rationale, giving the data, and, may I add, saying, was it an urgent thing they needed to do at the time? They just imposed it. Okay. Mm-hmm. The next question is, Natalie had a perfect work history, was a well-regarded employee 15 years, would she win an unfair dismissal claim? Have the answers gone out? Are we in yet? Are yeah, we we're in. in. I've, come, I've submitted it. Which well, I'm just waiting for the numbers here. So the answer in a yes, she would definitely win an unfair dismissal claim. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, yeah, got that right. Whew, question three. <laughs> <laughs> So you can see, right. see, I listened carefully to all the coaching I got from Sophie. Not. Okay, the next question is, Natalie lodged a workers' compensation claim the day before she was terminated for stress based upon bullying. Would her claim succeed? I can't believe that our Natalie has caused us this level of pain, but she obviously has. She's gone hard at us. You've got your answer in? Yep. But, well, that's a good question, is it? Working. <laughs> yes, thanks, Peter. It is working perfectly. You guys are caning it because... She wouldn't succeed on the bullying part of it, but she would succeed as a workers' compensation claim because it wasn't reasonable management action, okay? There's no evidence that she's been bullied, okay? But it doesn't matter. If she puts in a stress claim, based a mental health-based claim, She, we must demonstrate we've followed appropriate processes. We haven't followed the OHS obligations, and as a result of which it wouldn't be reasonable management action, therefore her claim would be accepted but this is terrible because in any jurisdiction she's terminated if she can't get another job boom you've got a full exposure on the mental health claim which will cap out your workers comp premium Mm. so really good to know isn't it okay all right well look despite that bout of dinosaur behavior from me with technology and you will hear my footprints going across the tundra afterwards and Sophie was right and I was wrong. I just want to say that <laughs> to camera now. Public acknowledgement, so you've got to take it and run. But seeing as she changed the name from Sophie to Sinead, she failed. I want that to be really clear. <laughs> and I suffered. <laughs> we all suffered from it, I think. But next week we're going to do something a bit more challenging. We're going to look at a bit of union history and mm-hmm. look at where we're going with unions, what that actually means to you as employers, what are the opportunities that arise and what are the risks if you don't do what we say next week. And that's going to be a substantial part because the union's new agenda is very, very obvious at the moment. They've resurrected themselves out of this duplicitous dust that they fell in over vaccination Mm -hmm. and they've now come out with something new to sell. And if you're not out there in front of it showing your flexibility, I'm being told I'm way too harsh. Settle down, guys. And, Brendan, say hello to your daughter for me over there in Seattle. (laughs) Slick presentation. I agree, Peter Reichenberg. It would be slick if I had got anything right, okay? From now on, (laughs) best of luck. See you next week. We've got two seconds left to say goodbye, and we want to be at least slick on this. See you later, everyone. Love you to have you on. Bye-bye. Bye.